Theology of the Body Institute. This is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome back to the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Christopher and I, Wendy, are here to answer questions that you've submitted Happy to be here today. Thanks, everybody, again, for all the questions that are rolling in. We're getting some real good ones. A lot of the questions, it seems, are from people who would like to know how do we incorporate TOB in our parenting. And I know we uh, you know, answered a specific question about that on a previous podcast, but I'd just like to acknowledge that, that many of our listeners probably are parents, and you know that's a common question. So I just thought maybe we could share a little story of something sweet that happened with one of our children. And a friend was visiting us recently whose son is um, 14 and really um, thinking about becoming a priest. And um, and he has been his whole life, like when, from, a, from a little boy, right? Yeah, yeah, he has. And that actually relates That's to the, the story yeah, yeah. because our one of our daughters um, really was a close friend of this boy when they were little. And they were close in age. They were close in age. And she just kind of imagined, I think, that when she grew up, they when they grew up, they would be married because they were, you know, great friends and just seemed like a, a beautiful future. But from a young age, right? We're talking, yeah. what, Five years old. Yeah, yeah. I, like I remember that. the first time I remember her saying it. I think she was six years old. But uh-huh. yeah. Anyway, his mother was telling us a fun story of something she remembered that there was a time when she had the kids, and they were probably seven and eight or something mm-hmm. like that at the time. And uh, her son was talking about wanting to be a priest. And I think our daughter was hearing that maybe for the first time, like not realizing, uh oh, you know, he wants to be a priest, but that's not Jack. That writes me out of the plan. That's not her plan. That's not her vision <laughs> of the future. And so um, his mother told us she heard Beth, um, our daughter, saying to him, you know, my dad really loves God and the church, and and he, like, Talks to people about God all the time, <laughs> and he's married. <laughs> and we just thought that was so dear how she kind of just was kind of trying to guide his uh, yes, discernment. Let's, let's, let's see if we can work the possibility of my being in this picture back right. into the story. Right. So that was just a fun little story from her growing up, and and now she's you know kind of. She still is a good friend with this boy, but very happy for him to continue to pursue his vocation as a priest. She's trusts that that's God's plan for him, but that was a fun little window into her heart as a as a little girl. What are some questions we're going to be looking at this yes, time? Yes, here, let me share with you some questions from our listeners. So this question is from uh, a listener named Diana, who says that she's a, quote, single married person, but by which she means she's uh, divorced and working on an annulment. So, um, Bless you, Diana. Bless yeah. you. She says, I have my moments where I'm longing for the embrace of a man. I have remained chaste since my ex and I separated, but it's been quite the struggle for me as I was never chaste before attempting marriage. Do you have any advice on how I can weather this period of my life? Bless you, Diana. I'm stirred in my heart by what seems to be a stirring in your heart 
that's taking you back to before you were married. It's just the acknowledgement that you were not chased before you were married. There's something that maybe not too many people articulate or know about, uh, and you can call it different things, but I'm going to call it the healing of memories. I know a very important part of my own journey has been the healing of memories. I was not chased before I met Wendy. Um, I had some, a lot of unchastity in my teenage years and into my early 20s. And as I have taken up the project, if that's the right word, the journey of, of wanting to grow in chastity, integral to that growth in chastity has been the healing of memories. And it's a sensitive thing because you don't want to go poking around in those memories by yourself. There's a lot of pain there that can stir up images and painful experiences that are uh, are not something you want to just look at on your own. My spiritual director, Father Jim, always says, Christopher, go within with him and let him lead you. But between here and the beatific vision, all of those memories will be purified. Mm. That's God's promise, mm-hmm. that he will purify what in us is impure. And I'm going through another experience just recently where I've, I've been praying into something and took me back to some memories that I, I had forgotten about, I hadn't really looked at, I hadn't really examined in prayer from when I was in sixth grade, for crying out loud, mm. sixth and seventh grade, some painful, painful memories, and just exposing those to the Lord's grace and mercy. My experience, it, my experience of it, Diana, is, is something like this, where a, a memory will come to mind and I, I, I sense that it's the Lord taking me to it. So I say, Lord, guide me back to this memory. And he takes me back to the memory. And in that memory, I bring him into it. I bring, the Lord is in it. I take the, I ta- like he takes my hand, he takes me back to the memory, kind of walks me through it, and he shows me what I was really looking for. So unchaste behavior, when we're behaving unchastely, we're taking a, a genuine human desire, but seeking its fulfillment in a disordered way. And the healing of memories for me has been the experience of going back to the memory, back to the experience of the desire I was trying to fulfill. And then the Lord showing me in prayer, this is what you were really looking for. Mm -hmm. Showing me the genuineness of the desire, Mm. showing me the disorder of where I took it, but then saying, let me show you what you really wanted and let me provide that for you. Mm-hmm. So that is a, like a real short explanation of the healing of memories. I would encourage you, Diana, if what I'm saying is resonating, just to learn how to quietly, peacefully present in your heart, what's going on? So your your question about wanting to be chased, wanting to weather this, it's an interesting expression you're even using. It's like you're in a storm. Mm-hmm. So open that storm 
to the Lord. Acknowledge it. Relate it to Him. Receive where He leads you, and then respond. We've talked about this before, the the acronym A-R-R-R. Acknowledge, relate, receive, and respond. Wendy, do you have anything you want to add to this? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And she's talking about the struggle, especially just longing for the embrace of a man, which I think is very understandable. And I think what you're sharing as is almost illuminating this period as also an opportunity for grace that isn't just for today, but mm-hmm. it it kind of extends back through her history from before she was married, probably in her marriage as well, of just trying to um, invite the Lord into her past and allow his... First of all, he's already there. Yes. So he's never left us, even though our hearts and our minds and our bodies have turned away from him. He's not left. Amen. And so he wants us to, as we go back there, to allow him to reveal himself and reveal our hearts to us as a way of, as you're talking about, healing those memories. And so that there's a great fruit that can come in your life and in your future that through the taking the time, taking the time for deeper prayer and to allow the Lord to speak to you. I'll make this a little more specific uh, without getting into inappropriate details of certain memories, but when I was in sixth grade, I had this experience at a park near my house with a, a female student, um, fellow student. We were both in sixth grade, and we were. it happened... Uh, at a certain place in this park that was near a rose garden. And so as I took this memory back to prayer, opened it up to prayer, the Lord took me back to the memory is what I wanted to say. I I really felt a feminine presence. I I really sensed the Blessed Mother come into the memory. And I had been so curious about the opposite sex, and my curiosity got me in trouble. I'll just leave it at that. And Mary comes right into the memory, and she takes my hand, and she says, let's go walk down to this rose garden, and I want to teach you some things about these flowers, about these roses. And of course, Mary is the mystical rose. Mm -hmm. And it would be very hard for me to put into words, so I won't even try, Uh, It was a deep experience of my heart where Mary took me into this rose garden at this park where I had had this very painful experience with this girl because my curiosity got me in trouble. And she said, bring your curiosity down to this rose garden Mm -hmm. and let's look at it together. And mysteries started to unfold about the Garden of Eden A mystery started to unfold about the beauty of Mary and what it means that she's the mystical rose. Mm -hmm. And that it was really her beauty that I was longing for all along. And it became a holy, sacred channeling of that curiosity in such a way that the the sting of that memory was getting removed. Mm. And and the, the bad direction that that took me in when I was, how old are you, in sixth grade, 13, 12 or 13, 
that took me in a really, really wrong direction in my heart. But these things can get healed. Diana, the Lord knows your whole story. He knows where desires in your heart took you in the wrong direction. And he can take you back to those very moments. It's like where the train, I'm picturing a train that you flick the switch and it goes one way on the tracks or it goes the other Mm -hmm. way on the tracks. We can go back to these places where we went the wrong way on the tracks. Mm -hmm. And the Lord or the Blessed Mother might show up in, in your prayer, can flick that switch, if you will, and put that train on the right track. Mm. And and it's like it's like a backwash. It's like it, it, I'm thinking of the the filter on our pool, and it gets all the crud out from the whole <laughs> history of it. Uh-huh. Uh, it. It's really, really healing, and it's really real. These things are real. So mm. so know that you are known intimately in all of those memories, and invite the Lord in there. He's already there, as Wendy said. Uh, he's already there. But he can take you on a journey of healing on those memories. Mm-hmm. Healing mm-hmm. of those memories is yes. what I meant to say. So I have another question. It's from Liz, who says, My question is, if you had 30 minutes to speak to an RCIA class on God's plan for sexuality, what would be the most important things you'd want to get across to them? Most in capital letters. I feel like there's so much I could say that I don't even know where to begin. What was this person's name again? Liz. Liz. Hi, Liz. Bless you, Liz. 30 minutes in an RCIA program on sexuality. Well, here's what initially comes to my mind, Liz, and it might not be a direct answer to your question, but it will lead to it. I think it is a disservice to have sexuality uh, as one topic in a long list of things to cover in RCIA. We're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about this, and then we're going to talk about sexuality, then we're going to talk about this, then we're going to talk about this. Sexuality has to do, as John Paul II says, with the innermost being of the human person made in the image and likeness of God. When we understand the broad scope of what it means that God made us male and female, when we understand that this is not just one aspect of our humanity, but it's the way in which we understand what our humanity is. As John Paul II says, sexuality is not just an attribute of the person, it is mm-hmm. constitutive of the person. That means it's 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 what makes up our constitution. It's it's what we are. I am a man, you are a woman. Mm. It's not an attribute. It's who and what you are. It's mm. your identity. When we understand that and when we understand also that the spousal union is a great mystery that reveals Christ's love for the church shows us what Christ's love for the church is, illuminates what our faith is, then we come to understand, as John Paul II said in his letter to families, that we cannot understand what the church is. We cannot understand what our faith is. We cannot understand who Christ is. We cannot understand what the sacraments are. We can't understand what what our faith is unless we understand, this is right out of John Paul II, unless we understand our creation as male and female, in the call of the two to become one flesh. Mm-hmm. When we understand that, we will understand what a disservice it is 
to put sexuality as one topic among a great multitude that we have to cover in RCIA. Rather, sexuality understood integrally, meaning in its totality, in the vision that the church really has for it. It, is, it affects every aspect of our humanity and our faith. This is right out of the Catechism. The entire Christian life is marked by the spousal love of Christ for the church. Already, baptism is a nuptial mystery. It's the wedding bath, the Catechism says, the nuptial bath that precedes the, the wedding feast, which is the Eucharist. At the source and summit of our faith, at the source and summit of our faith, it's the consummation of a marriage. It's the Eucharist, the bridegroom giving up his body for his bride. When we understand this, this theology of the body should be be the pair of glasses we are wearing mm-hmm. to teach RCIA, to mm-hmm. teach what our to teach what Christian life is. So. How long have I been talking? I've been talking for, I don't know, three, four, five minutes here, Diana. Uh, you asked what to say in a half an hour. I would tell the Christian story. I would start with Genesis and explain what it means that we're male and female, made in the image and likeness of God. I would then do a tour through the Old Testament uh, as to how and why the prophets use spousal imagery mm. to describe God's love for his people, Yahweh's love for Israel. I talk about the Annunciation as the the wedding proposal of God to humanity, the the renewed wedding proposal that Mary is the bride who, representing the whole human race, opened up her humanity to this marriage proposal, said yes, and conceived virginally the, the son of the eternal father. I'd skip to the end of the story. The book of Revelation describes heaven as an eternal marriage, an eternal wedding feast, why is Jesus' first miracle at a wedding? Why is the Song of Songs in the very middle of the Bible? All of this reveals that the whole story of our faith is spousal. It's not the only way to talk about it. There are other ways to talk about our faith. But as John Paul II says, this is a particularly illuminating way to understand what our faith holds out to us. Only in that context can we then get into specifics about sexual morality, for example. Sexual morality makes zero sense from a Christian perspective unless we have this this glorious understanding of the iconography of our bodies, that our bodies are windows into heavenly Mm. realities. When we understand that, or to the degree that we understand that, then all of the moral teachings begin to click. They begin to make total, beautiful sense because what the church is saying in all of her moral teaching is become a true icon of the divine. Live in the image in which you're made. But if you don't understand what that even means to be made in the image of God as male and female, it's just going to get reduced to a bunch of rules to follow. I think a great strength of that approach to that 30-minute session is that we have a whole sense of the story of sexuality or of sexual morality, maybe not from a Christian perspective, but from a kind of secular worldly perspective that we kind of take almost as a given many people would, you know, in your RCIA class, they don't even question it. They've just breathed it in growing up. And so by breathed what by growing up? 
an understanding, a false understanding, a false understanding of the yeah. story of what yeah. sexuality is. And yeah, we, we breathe in this, these lies about our bodies right. and our sexuality. So, you know, if you would take the time to um, share that, those stories from the scripture that you just mentioned, Christopher, you're actually giving your class such a gift of recognizing, hey, you know what? I've believed another story, yeah. you know, and but this is the story that comes from the creator of everything. Yeah, this comes from my creator who created me specifically and everyone I know and love. You know, it's a, a beautiful gift to give them, and I think in addition, you probably will have a personal story to share. You wouldn't be the one asked to give this talk if you didn't have some personal relation to this vision of what the meaning of sexuality is, and I think. Students always appreciate a personal story. So those points may have deep, lasting value, much greater than getting into very specific moral questions, which could kind of leave people with a confusion if they haven't received those things, you know, which is the sense of the Lord's initiative in all of this and how that has played out in what our faith is and also how that affects you personally. Share how beautiful the story is, Liz. Mm -hmm. It's beauty that draws the heart. The only way to overcome bad eros is with good eros and plenty of it. That's Mm -hmm. a quote from uh, an Orthodox theologian I admire. The only way to overcome bad eros is with good eros and plenty of it. I have a little poem that I came up with once that I often share in my talks that mm, I'm yeah? um, feeling might be appropriate. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> Who has been unscathed by the incessant lies of a media culture that will prize and idolize bodies idealized and hyper-eroticized, but criticize and despise any shape and size it cannot commoditize. Mm. We need new eyes if we are to realize that the true value of the body lies not in being objectivized, standardized, and commercialized, but in being personalized baptized, divinized, and this is what the theology of the body supplies. Mm, Awesome. (laughs) So share it, share it, Liz. Be bold. Yes, it's going to be a great class. I have another question for you from an anonymous woman who says, my husband is struggling with heavy depression and a 20-year pornography addiction. Mm which began at the age of nine. Mm. After years of begging God for my husband to have a breakthrough and be able to get sober and really heal, I'm deeply frustrated by his seeming lack of response. I feel so helpless and sad, and I'm scared of what this battle might mean for our marriage if he doesn't turn a corner soon. How can I be a good wife in this situation? Mm. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. I have an image right now of Mary's heart with that sword going right through it. A sword will pierce your heart also, is what Simeon said to Mary. 
somehow Simeon intuited that Mary would be, you know, whether he could have articulated this or not, but uh, Mary would be led right to the foot of the cross. And I want to return to those nuptial images that I was sharing earlier in the former question that our faith really is a nuptial mystery. On the cross, Christ the bridegroom is giving up his body for his bride. And marriage really and truly, this is, this is John Paul II from Familiaris Consortio, his document on the family in the modern world. He says, spouses are the constant reminder to the world of what happened on the cross. As a remarkable statement, we exchange our wedding vows at an altar of sacrifice. We exchange our wedding vows under a crucifix, and we are invited to love as Jesus loves in married life. So I, I see this woman really and truly is going through her own version of the passion. Mm -hmm. And the sword is getting thrust through her heart. Your experience as a wife, as you learn, and this would be my encouragement, to ask the Lord for the grace to learn how your suffering can bear fruit as intercession that really and truly can effectively save your husband and it doesn't necessarily mean and your your husband needs saving mm -hmm. not that you are his savior he has only one savior jesus christ but you can learn the way of truly effective intercessory prayer as his wife you have the charism through the sacrament of your marriage you are your husband's number one intercessor and you can learn the way of effective intercession where your pain, the pain that you feel that he's caused you, the pain that you feel for him in his addiction and in his depression, that that sword being run through your heart can become a, a gushing fountain of divine life-giving love that really and truly can effectively save him from the grips of this evil that has him in its clutches. Christ came to undo the work of the enemy. Pornography is the work of the enemy. Pornography is a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. And this is indeed a spiritual battle that you are engaged in. But that pierced heart opened up really and truly is effective and I often tell the story in marriages with such hardship as this of uh, Elizabeth Lesseur and her husband Felix. They lived over 100 years ago, and she became a believer. He was still an atheist. And she asked one day, Lord, give me any suffering for the conversion of my husband, and I will bear it. One of those prayers you just might watch what you ask for because you might get it. She was stricken with a painful cancer, and she spent a few years suffering through it and offering all her sufferings as intercession for her husband. Mm -hmm. She died uh, without seeing her husband's conversion, and her husband sometime thereafter discovered her prayer journal. Not only was he converted after her death, but he became a Catholic priest. Mm -hmm. And 
spent the, his priesthood working on the, the cause for his own wife's beatification. So uh, the story there, the moral of it is having a holy marriage does not mean it's a rosy marriage, but that suffering opened up, offered up as intercessory prayer is real and effective. And maybe, Wendy, I don't know if you, we've been through things where you've needed to learn how to pray for me in a, in a way that your heart was being run through with the sword. I don't know if you have any reflections on that or, or anything else. Thank you. I, I really think there was a kind of a special gift of the Holy Spirit in your response to that question. I just sense there's kind of a beautiful calling on this wife's life. Yeah, the cross is real. We, we, we kind of just talk about it like a theological idea, mm-hmm. but it's really real. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and we really feel it. We, like the nails are like getting thrust into this woman's hands and the sword's going through her heart. It's real. Mm-hmm. And it's really effective. What's just kind of striking me is is the Psalms. If you read the Psalms as prayers, I think what you one of the things you encounter is the honesty of the yes, psalmist yes. about suffering and turning to the Lord and suffering that I think can be a great source of strength. So I just share that as um, you know, an added sort of tool in the toolbox of of sort of I don't want anything to sound like that your husband's continuing to struggle because you haven't been praying yeah, right. Yeah. That would be a terrible message, and yes, we don't no, mean that yes. at all. But ability just to find new ways to be strengthened in the difficult calling you have is a beautiful thing. And I think, um, you know, also, if you could ask the Lord to point out to you ways that you can affirm your husband. And I just share that because um, a depressed person um, can be really not noticing things that other people notice. You know, they're not necessarily seeing reality because there's such a darkness in their experience. So ways that you can point out to your husband, the ways that the Lord is showing his faithfulness to you as a couple or the gifts of your life or his strengths as you see them, Things that may seem like aren't necessary to say, maybe uh, things that you can help through this difficulty of this depression and addiction, just to be kind of that voice of truth and light in different times in your marriage. I encourage you to do that as well. And it's just to be able to continue to receive the gift of hope from the Lord and to share that with your husband throughout your sufferings. I pray that for you, that you are able to experience that. So a final thought to this anonymous questioner. I said earlier that pornography is a hellish mockery of a heavenly reality. That if you, with compassion, could ask the Lord to show you what is the real thing your husband desires, what is that heavenly reality that is being mocked in pornography, and to, to pray for the redirection of his desire from the mockery to the reality. That's the healing that we all need, the redirection of desire. Sin is always misguided desire. The desire itself needs to be redirected towards the heavenly reality. And maybe the Lord is asking you to bear that piercing of your heart, that sword, if you will, as the intercessory prayer that allows that redirection in your husband's life to take place. 
please know we will be lifting you up in prayer. And I ask everyone listening to this podcast right now, would you please pray for this married couple who are going through such a very, very difficult, difficult struggle? Mm -hmm. Jesus, we ask you, please, in your holy name, through the power of your death and resurrection, to redirect this husband's desire towards the heavenly reality he has made for the marriage of the Lamb. And in your name, Jesus, we silence and bind that diabolical mockery of that heavenly mystery. And we Mm. place all these prayers in the holy, sacred, immaculate womb of Mary, where every good thing is conceived and brought to birth. Mm. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. These are real things, real questions, real struggles, and we don't imagine for a moment that in a podcast we can give simple answers to very, very complex realities, but we hope we're giving you guys food for thought uh, where you can continue to explore and seek the Lord's face in your own lives on these often difficult and pressing issues. If you guys have a question you would like Wendy and me to address Just go to AskChristopherWest.com and submit your question. We'd love for you to leave a review. If you'd ever like to have a live event at your parish, please learn more. Just Google Made for More Events with Christopher West. You can learn more about that. And take the free course on the theology of the body that will give you some, some real food for thought on what are the deepest desires of our hearts and where do we take them? How do we redirect those desires? You can learn more about that at askchristopherwest.com forward slash free course. We love you guys. Until next time, take care. God bless you. The Ask Christopher West podcast comes to you from the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione and production by Sounder and Key. Who has been unscathed by the incessant lies of a media culture that will prize and idolize bodies idealized and hyper-eroticized, but criticize and despise any shape and size it cannot commoditize? We need new eyes if we are to realize that the true value of the body lies not in being objectivized, standardized, and commercialized, but in being personalized, baptized, divinized. And this is what the theology of the body supplies. All right, you're finished. Okay. <laughs>